Section 67 of The Turquoise Storybook Stories and Legends of Summer in Nature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Turquoise Storybook Stories and Legends of Summer and Nature by Ada M. Skinner and Eleanor L. Skinner. THE FRIENDLY SUMMER TREES by Frank A. Waugh It is curious how friendly the forests are to the sick. The trees reach out their arms to shelter them. In the stillness of the morning and through the long nights they whisper to everyone who listens. There lie the patients, listening and looking up through the gently waving branches to the floating clouds by day and to the twinkling stars by night, until presently they are overcome by the spirit of health, which is the spirit of the pine trees. Trees appear at their best in the forest company, I think, just as men and women appear at their best in society. The single maple tree, or the elm, may be very proud and beautiful, but alone it cannot cure the sick or even accommodate a picnic. So we ought to become acquainted with the trees, in their own society, and in their native surroundings. We shall then understand them much better than when we find them lonely on our city lawns. There is a glorious wealth waiting for us when we come to choose our tree friends for our homes. There are the elm, several kinds of maples, two kinds of sycamores, the linden, many sorts of oaks, the pines and the spruces, and almost a hundred others. Besides these big, lusty, shade-yielding trees, there are many small, more curious, or more ornamental ones. Such are the magnolias, the maidenhair tree, the Kentucky coffee tree, the sweet gum, and the flowering dogwood. These smaller trees are, of course, particularly suited to small lawns and close quarters, though, wherever possible, the true American will give first place to the big, noble, native trees like the elm and the maple— even if there is room for only one of these, it will seem to be the one best friend in the garden. And while I am speaking of these trees, I would not forget the apple. There is no kind of tree more beautiful in spring, more comfortable and homelike summer and winter, and more to be chosen for a lifelong friend. Recently I was consulted by a committee of Massachusetts town who wanted to cut down a half-dozen sturdy old apple trees— because a new library had been built in their midst, and the committee thought some more rare trees were needed to keep the balance. Blue spruce or camperdown elm would have been choice, strange, and outlandish, but the homely common apple tree they would gladly sacrifice. We admire the tree for its size. The mere bigness of it draws our attention. We look up to it. We admire it for its form— the form of the elm or the maple or the pine or the palm is wonderful. We admire the tree in its leafage for its texture and color. Why, even the shadow of a tree is beautiful. The clever gardener places his best tree where its shadow will be traced all the afternoon across the lawn. How cool and pleasant the shadow lies there. Nowhere do trees seem so useful as in the street. Even the city yearns for trees, and the best residents in suburban sections make these their greatest pride. 
The citizens turned to the city trees as one of the most important forms of public property. Tree planting is to be encouraged, and the trees now grown to maturity must be saved at any cost. Leaky gas mains are the deadly enemies of street trees. Electric wires kill thousands more. For the protection of street trees and those on public parks and grounds, every city should have a tree warden. These are provided for by law in some states, but the system should become general. Truly modern cities have officers with the title of city forester with the extremely useful occupation of caring for the public trees. Such officers should be appointed everywhere. The annual festival called Arbor Day, established in this country for the promotion of tree planting, has unfortunately been turned over exclusively to the public schools, whereas it ought to be observed also by the churches, lodges, and political clubs and women's clubs. At all events, tree planting should go on constantly and should everywhere accompany the campaign for the preservation of street trees. We may well remember that as a rough general rule, only one tree out of every twenty planted ever comes to maturity. Let us, therefore, plant liberally. In rural and semi-rural communities everywhere, it is a custom to secure from the woods and pastures those trees needed for street and house lot planting. Where stock is collected from the wild in this way, it is best to take the trees from the open pasture or from recently cultivated land, where possible. Effort should be made also to select those which have grown on rich, well-drained soil. The theory that trees taken from the forest will be more hardy runs quite opposite to the fact. Indeed, the best plan is everywhere to buy young trees from nurseries. Nursery trees have clean, symmetrical tops and are likely to have a hundred times more good rootage than trees taken from the field. Everything is in favor of the nursery-grown tree except the price. However, very often the expense of digging and bringing in a half-dozen good-sized maples from the woods is greater than the cost of better trees of like size from the most expensive nursery in the country. Arbor Day is not necessarily the best day for tree planting, especially in the matter of big trees for streets, school grounds, and public places. The experts prefer to handle such trees in midwinter. They do this even in sections where the ground freezes to a depth of two or three feet. In fact, it is considered the height of good practice to take up the tree from its place accompanied by a huge block of frozen earth. Evergreen trees, such as pines and spruces, may be handled very successfully in August, and this season is widely chosen for the purpose by knowing treemen. Many tree lovers make the mistake of crowding their small private grounds with their pets. If one has only a city lot 30 feet wide by 100 feet deep, he cannot grow a large forest. One or two large trees will be all such a place can reasonably support. Any more will make the premise too crowded. The trees themselves will suffer, and besides that, there will be no opportunity to view them. There will be no room for a flower garden and no lawn for any purpose. The common mistake in planting trees on small home grounds is to place the individual in the middle of the lawn. As a matter of design, the center of the lawn should be kept open, and trees, at any rate, should file along the boundaries. In our northern climate, 
sturdy, protecting evergreens will naturally choose a north boundary, and the shady summer trees with heavy foliage will cast their comfortable shadows from the south side of the garden. The tree lover who hopes to get the most satisfaction out of his hobby will not always wait to see his trees grow. It requires too many years. About the best way to do it is to adopt a tract of well-grown woodland and then to make the most of it. Improvement cuttings will come first, for the axe is as important as the spade, and trees have to be cut as well as planted. The best trees can be left and nursed and admired. If there is space enough, forest effects can be developed, roads and paths can be built, game cover can be introduced, and wildlife encouraged. Birds and boys and other friends will visit you in your woods, and the days will go by like a lusty ballad. Between you and me and the beech tree, it will be a jolly, pleasant company. End of section 67 Read by Linda Velwest All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.